Hey there, and welcome to the Confident Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Brooks. Join me as I sit down and chat with co-hosts, friends, and carefully curated guests and talk about all the things that empower you to become your best and most confident self. So let's get started. Hey there, and welcome back. So today's episode, we have with us an incredible guest. But before we jump in, I would love to know, do you fear failure? Or do you fear success? And the reason we ask is because we have an incredible guest with us, and that is Julie Perkins. Julie is calling in from Amsterdam, and she is the founder of Wise Minds, where she shares her 20 plus years of experience to take female entrepreneurs on an energetic yet focused journey of exploration to scale, grow, and find success in their businesses. So if you have any idea what we're going to be talking about, dive in, be open-minded, and grab a notebook and pen because we have a lot to unpack and a lot to discuss. So we hope that you find today's episode inspiring, encouraging, and empowering you to go after your business, your life, and absolutely love what you do so that you can sustain this and feel like you're really making an impact and a difference in today's world. So let's dive in. All right, ladies, welcome back. Today we have with us an incredible guest. We have Julie Perkins with us, and Julie is calling in from Amsterdam. So right before we even hit record, we have just been talking about some of the most common questions and and things that us women kind of, you know, we really get stuck especially if we're starting our business, we're into this entrepreneur space, whether it's a startup, whether we have been in business for one day or 10 years, it doesn't matter. We are going to have an incredible conversation today to talk about really everything in between. And, you know, prior to us hitting record, I was just briefly chatting with Julie and asking her some of these questions. And I realized that now is such a timely and current and relevant topic that we'll be talking about today because I think if we're in this entrepreneurial space and we're just getting started or like I said, I've already been in business, you definitely want to tune in because we're going to be discussing quite a few things that either are keeping you stuck, recognizing areas that you're being held back, or looking around that corner and just seeing where that turning point is in your business that can really catapult you into that next level. So we're going to be talking about all the different phases. So we're excited. I know Julie's excited. So welcome, Julie. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. And it was a great pre-conversation as well. I think if you hadn't reminded us, we would have just gone on and on and on. So exactly. it's good that we're actually live now and actually recording because it was interesting uh, warm-up for sure. Yes, but it was such a good one because like we were talking and I know that I'm finding myself in a season where, you know, as we go through life and this isn't just as women that are in business or, you know, whether you're working with somebody or for somebody or working on your own, we go through seasons of highs and lows and everything in between. So I love that in our conversation prior, we talked about that. We briefly touched upon, well, okay, well, what if we're just starting out? What if we've already been in business? What if we're just turning that corner? So you have had this experience just working with entrepreneurs from all those different facets of life and your guidance there to help them realize the areas of holding them back, the areas of opportunities and ways to navigate confidently through the season that we're in. We talked 
briefly about, you know, the best self and empowering you to really discover who that is so that we can fully and confidently step into our purpose, our passion, and live out that mission-driven vision that we have for ourselves and really feel in alignment with our calling, our purpose, and the direction of where we're headed. So before we dive into all of that good stuff, I'd love for our listeners just to little, learn a little bit more about you and just some of the exciting things. You know, you halfway around the world kind of thing. You're in Amsterdam. We're here in the States. So it's really just a beautiful gift when we can have the opportunity for podcasting to bring us together and and really help us close that gap because how we're doing business here in the States has, is very similar to how you do business in Amsterdam to worldwide because at the end of the day, you are your brand, you are your business, and how you're doing life is really the ultimate thing of what we're after, right? Absolutely. I mean, I always say to entrepreneurs, you are unique, your business is unique, but the way businesses grow is not, especially in early stage. So thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I'm very, very excited. And finding out a little bit more about myself this side, I suppose I'm a mixture of, you know, being a driven, purist person, but also failure. And that's how I was sort of born in wise minds. And, you know, I am passionate about purpose-led organizations. And I grew up in a very fast-moving entrepreneurial family and grew that family business for, you know, a good period of my life. And, and I think when you grow up in that entrepreneurial family, you're, you're obviously not noticing it at the time when you're a teenager, but you pick up the essence of what it feels like to be that entrepreneur. And it sort of sits in that conscious mind of yours. And, you know, so I experienced the benefit of surrounding yourself by great people. And there was never a bad day at work. There were always challenges. So, so you watch that roller coaster of growing a business and see and observe how you can ride those storms and the highs. And then obviously in my own experiences and as I say, my own failures, I learned what was most important as an entrepreneur in early stage, how do we look at ourselves and what we do in order to get over that first hump, over that first roller coaster, and also ride those waves going forward. So in a very short time, that's a lot about my life and why I'm in Amsterdam, how I ended up here. Wow. And it's so true, right? Because we got to navigate this. This is just, you know, in essence, kind of like what I say, we're just doing the best we can with what we know until we know better and then we do better, right? So it's this. Absolutely. Yes. And keeping that kind of on the forefront, because I think as we, as we're working women in, like I said, whether we own our own business or we're doing our best and supporting other corporations, organizations, and being a key player in those successes and the growth of those companies, we have to remind ourselves of that. And it's like, at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to achieve that lofty goal of work-life balance, which I think for me personally, and I, I would love to hear your take on this as well, I feel like that work-life balance is kind of that chase that, you know, we can find that balance for some time. But I think just as we go through seasons, we're going to find another obstacle that kind of throws a wrench into things and that balance is not, you know, so evenly distributed. Is that... I'm smiling. I'm smiling because... I always have this sort of thing about work-life balance as a statement, and I always think that it puts work in the naughty corner, whereas actually, if I want to kick out of something, you know, if I'm feeling like, well, doing a little piece of work or being there, it gives me an uplift. So I always feel a bit guilty where we place work in that one. But I understand the concept of it, of course. And, 
you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that come my way are looking at the crossroads. You said they're about to turn a corner using one of your phrases. And, you know, they're coming often overwhelmed, frustrated. The business has started to slow down. And there's a tremendous guilt that often sits with them going, you know, I'm falling out of love with what I once loved. Why is that? And there's a guilt and we keep plowing on, normally doing more and more and more things, of course, next steps. At least we're busy. And the first thing that we do is really to understand what that balance is. And we obviously don't use balance, but we take the entrepreneur out of that situation because they normally arrive, I need more marketing, I need more digital, I need this, I need this, I need this. Whereas actually what we first need to do is to remove them respectfully from the business. So I always say it's about making yourself redundant, re-looking at it and repositioning yourself in. And that's one, you know, talking about the 80-20, we do 20% of the program is spent reassessing the positioning of the founder in the company. And once you can reposition, then 80% of the problems are solved. But unfortunately, that first 20% is the battle. Uh, it's, it's not as easy. And that's about coming out of it, understanding our purpose and our values as a person. Who are we? We say, you know, you're all about discovering your best self. Well, to coin a phrase, if you want to understand what your best self is, you have to define it first. And that comes from the origin of who we are. It's the beginning of it. And then we unravel and put the passion in form of purpose into the company via the founder. And it releases them. It gives them space. The reason why we fall out of love, with we do, we just feel trapped and frustrated. And, you know, we never signed up. You know, we had a great idea. We never really originally signed up to do lots of admin or to manage people or to listen to other people's woes. Or we never signed up to that. We just had this fantastic idea to make a difference. And suddenly we've become very popular and we've got a whole list of stuff. We don't really inspire, you know, it doesn't really inspire us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. How much I can relate to all of that. And, you know, it's tying that back into the whole work-life balance. So I published my book a few years ago, and it's called Chasing Perfection. And the irony of it is that the chase of something that doesn't exist. And so then when I was finding myself in the space, you know, really diving into my personal brand, my business and everything that I'm building. And then you hear that notion of work-life balance. And I feel like, okay, that's another illusion that doesn't exist. And so I felt like I was trying to chase that for some time. And it was leading me to this burnout phase of overworked, overwhelmed, because at the opposite side, it's like I still wanted to have some freedom in life because that's originally what I had signed up for. That's the business model that I was building. And that's the freedom lifestyle I was chasing for myself. But at the crux of it was how can I make the biggest impact and make a difference and know that my work and my mission and my message is delivered in a way that is landing with the individuals that's meant to hit and making a difference in their life. And pulling that back, I realized that I wasn't making a difference in my life. So I love that you, you know, you take that entrepreneur, the the head of the business out because we need to redefine what that looks like for that individual. And I'm this past year was a season that I somehow did that for myself. I realized that my business was going in a direction that had phased me out, had burned me out, and it left me with no drive 
to even continue. So I was at this crossroad where I say, either I continue going down the same path, expecting the same results, receiving the same results, burned out, how much longer can I sustain this? Or I could take an alternative and either remove myself and get that clarity, give myself the rest, give myself the nourishment of that sense of like stepping out so I could come back in with a fresh perspective. Or the other direction would be just fold up and figure out what is life at that point. And I think for we can all relate to some version of that as we find ourselves at different crossroads in life. And what you were sharing, you know, just taking yourself out of the equation, working on the 80-20 rule, you know, kind of that principle, which is the concept of 80% of us, right? Like the psychology, the thinking, the being, the way, like discovery. Well, 20% of that comes down to the principles and the strategies and the how-tos. And I think for many of us, we can tend to get that backwards where we think it's 80% of, well, I need to know the next social media strategy or the next how-to and the next thing. And the next thing is like, but what are you doing at that point? Essentially, and I'm just pulling this for myself, is that in that chase of trying to find that next 20%, which then turns into 80%, that 20% was left for myself and I was just on fumes. So I love that you show that because it is so important. And in that season that I kind of removed myself and stepped back and just kind of took that aerial view of where am I going? What am I doing? Like me as the individual. And I really had to take some time away to address rest recovery processes. I had to really give back myself part of that equation because it wasn't sustainable. And I know that you, prior to us jumping on, Julie and I were talking about this beautiful value model that she has, which is called the Powerball. And she was sharing part of that as well as like the 80-20 rule. And this just really lit me up because like I said, I'm in the season and so many women are in our community I don't know if this just was at as high because of pandemic or the pandemic kind of really exposed this, but so many women in our community are just like, oh my gosh, thank you for sharing that because this is me. And I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought there was something wrong with my business. I thought there, and so we start taking that personally, even though we're not supposed to, but we are the person behind our business. So how could we not distinguish that if this is happening, it has to do with us, right? So I'd love for you to share a little bit more, one, about your Powerball, the value model behind all that, and really pour into our listeners and and those ladies that are also kind of like, uh, yeah, I'm feeling that. What do we do? Well, I mean, it is a very honest conversation to have because I think COVID, you know, in that time, just to sort of link back to what you were saying, gave us time to reevaluate what was important. And that was for ourselves as well as for companies. And it it always made me smile a bit because, you know, during COVID, everyone was doing things that were right for the community and big companies were declaring the purpose, the lead, you know, this is how you were driving. And I thought to myself, this is what small businesses and startup entrepreneurs in early stage do every day. This is something invented by the larger company. This is the essence of core of what we do, the alignment of the values the small company. And going back about the person, the influence, of course, when you're a small company, there's a huge influence on the alignment of values in the company. And this is where it's obviously creates incredible power 
We put all of our energy and soul into it. Hence, we can get exhausted very quickly. But also, we have to look at the countersign of that when us putting ourselves all into our companies can actually have that detrimental effect on ourselves and our business. And, and I mentioned right at the beginning failure from me. And this was it when I was growing a big brand in the, in the Netherlands and Northern Europe. You know, people used to come up and say, Oh my gosh, Julie, she's so passionate. She is the brand. I used to go, thank you. You know, I used to wear it like a badge of honor. And, and really what it was is that moment is that I was growing the business around me and which is okay when it's very small and in startup. But when it's a 75 million pound business, it starts to really drag you down after a while and everybody else with it. And my great discovery was that. With all the passion and the enthusiasm and the drive, you forget about what takes you there isn't going to be what takes you to the next stage. So you try and build it. You end up this huge sort of rucksack. I always liken it to you're at Camp 4 on Mount Everest and you're trying to make it up through the death zone with a rucksack full of you know everything else that took you to Camp 4. You don't need it all. You need to be knowing what to discard. And that's one of the beginning points of trying to free yourself as the founder is taking that step back and making yourself redundant. And of course, that doesn't happen overnight. It's not delegation. I always have to put that in. People just say, delegate, Julie. It's not delegation. You've brought up this incredible business. You've literally lived and breathed it for this period of time to just go, please have this bit and please do that. You're, you're emotionally attached to it. And what we do is we respectfully work with the woman entrepreneur to establish their purpose, their passion in terms of the purpose of why they started it in the first place and their lens through which they see life. Because once you have that, you can then hang out with yourself and you are the greatest guide in business growth. Not your company. Don't hang out with the values there. Hang out with yourself and be able to Leave the essence of you in your company. And that gives the people the space to perform, to have ideas. But it's very difficult, you know, if you've got you as a, as the founder building a company around you, people don't follow people. As they say, the famous thing, so they follow great ideas. But if you are holding on to the great idea, it's costly. People won't be able to do it. And you hold on, you end up doing more. And doing more of the stuff you want because there's no space for anybody else. And hence the hamster wheel rolls and we do more and more and more. So that's what we do. We, but we respectfully do it. This isn't the sort of delegation and do this. This is truly taking yourself back down to base camp. Who are you? What do you see? Who do you represent? Who do you want to be? Because if you're trying to find balance in work, don't make it percentage. Because the thing about phrases like work-life balance, it gives you another measurable objective. Because you read in the magazines, you go, oh, I don't have that. Therefore, I don't have work-life balance. Whereas if you just look at yourself and look at how you influence all areas of your life, that's the balance you're looking for. Many hats in your life, just make sure every day you put on your hat first. And this is this whole beautiful journey that we do to release people from the overwhelm. And then they go, oh, actually, maybe I do love my business still. 
Yes, in its new form. <laughs> when you are free-ish. You're never totally free, but you know what I mean. Yes. Oh my goodness. There's so many just little nuggets in there that I was jotting down. And just, you know, those that are listening, as a recap as well, like making yourself redundant and influence all areas of your life. And I think that if we could start implementing those two things as part of our kind of our own mantras that keep us aligned, then we realize now it's not about us trying to do everything on your own. And I love that you brought up the idea that if we're holding on to that idea and the vision and everything too tight, then it we don't allow other people in to creatively and inspirationally help us grow that because it will always live and die with us if we're not open to trusting others, to bring them in, to give them the creative space to start, you know, finagling that idea and give it a little bit more shape and texture. So I think that that's so imperative. And especially if you are, you know, a solopreneur or just kind of getting started in your business, as you had said, Julie, it's not about just delegating and and task adminning and passing things off. Because at the end of the day, it's like, what are you giving them to do? Because if you haven't given them almost a stake of the business and the idea to have them fully invested into this, they're just going to be task doers, right? But isn't the goal of building a company or an organization is to lead others and bring them up with you? Can we just talk about that for a brief moment? Yeah. Okay. I mean, to go back to the sort of powerful stuff, it's it's so important. We just if you want the top tips, you know, for your listeners in terms of you got the powerful and it looks at the alignment of your four key growth drivers, purpose, customer, the way your business operates and the team and the way that you work to create that. So if you look at this, if these are the four key drivers that got to be aligned in it, what unites you? And I always ask, I always say, especially at the beginning, because everybody's got their hands. There's a structure, but it's a beginning structure, right? So. So what do you celebrate? And just going back to my little sort of list of learnings, failures, whatever you want to refer to them as. I also remember when I was starting the brand and it was really driving fast. We set this strategy, we say, you know, the record week strategy. And so we used to celebrate when we had this record week in the Netherlands and it was so exciting when everyone loved it. But realizing when he did it so much, and we had a lot at the beginning, and you kind of think, what do we celebrate when we don't have a record week? It's like it's the, you only celebrate when you have a gold medal. And what we realized then is that when we said, oh my gosh, it's a record week, how did everybody attach themselves to that celebration? It was normally marketing that shouted loudest, of course. You know, it's this, you know, it's our message, all this. But actually, what creates success is the unified team of all. So what you celebrate is more important than you think. So as part of our drive to create a more purpose-led approach, we actually retrained, refocused, training is not really the right word, on the purpose of why we existed. And then, okay, that was, we could have done that by email. You know, what we did was understood the stories that came about it. But then what was the contribution that everybody was making towards the purpose, the difference? And that is what united us. And in the end, a lot of people will debate with me, can you measure purpose? Well, you can if you 
kind of get the right. So we measured the light, well, I run a spectacle business, sorry, the likelihood for somebody to return in two years' time. So that it wasn't, we weren't looking at this moment now, our daily tasks. We were saying, can we inspire them enough to the purpose that they remember us in two years' time and return? And in order to do that, we had to give them the value, we had to give them the experience that we set as a company. So even though you could probably argue it, having that as a celebration, likelihood to return involved all 1,700 people, whether you answered the phone, served the customer, supported, and that's what united us. And that year, we actually moved into market leadership for the first time. I'm not saying it was totally that. We had marketing money, but we didn't spend any more marketing money. And that was the difference. That was the power. And coming together, and this is this, the powerful is, how do you unite on what truly matters to grow a business? And that can only be done from gathering the strength of everybody. And, you know, that requires the founder to get out of the way. But that's why that's the first step, because you don't all gather around a person. Well, I think history probably tells us that's not the greatest idea. But so you gather around a great idea and a strategy to take that forward. And um, that's what unites. And that's what makes people step up the extra mile. The most important thing for founders, it allowed me to reposition myself doing what I love and love what I do, which was leading the purpose and celebrating the what I set out to do in the first place. And operational was done. The, I was back at my best self like it was day one. And the great thing is that 1,700 people, doesn't matter if it's 1,700, seven or one person, had that space to be the best that they could be. And that is the power of purpose. So when companies during COVID went, oh, we do stuff for the community, that's not true purpose. It's embedded purpose is what you want. That's power. Yes. Oh, my goodness. This is, I mean, I'm jotting down all kinds of notes here because this is, this is really speaking to me just even in the season. And like I said, I'm leading these small communities and I'm finding that as one, I wasn't leading small communities prior to this because I was still stuck in the building phase of getting everything that we were looking for kind of structured and getting the ideas and things out there. And then taking that step back really brought me that clarity. And in that clarity allowed me to say, okay, well, as a founder, what does this look like if I'm intentionally at this place now in a new season that that I'm in? How can I live, lead, and love all with intention and a purpose and bring others up with me, whether they're a part of the confident woman or whether they're individuals that are in my space, which is, you know, my close friends and my family, things like that. And then also leaving that impact and imprint here in your, the lives that you touch, whether it's your local community, your online space, whatever. The goal of that is to give back and make a difference in others so that they can see the trajectory and essentially be part of the purpose, which is to grow them, to lead them, to love others, to, you know, and so I'm just sharing bits and pieces of what we have, but I think at the end of the day, if you're a purpose-driven company, isn't that kind of the cortex of what you stand for, right? Like that's your core. And it was an interesting point that you mentioned about during COVID with other companies, just latching onto the whole concept of community and purpose, which is through and through needed and necessary. But I don't know if that was an integral structural purpose plan point in their business at that moment. So 
we start to see things shift and change. And I think that allowed us time, whether you're startup or been in companies, to take a step back and say, what are we doing this for? And who are we doing this for? And get clarity on that. Yeah. The difference between understanding companies who did it integrity or, or not is the companies that were able to react quickest. If you look forward on it, I mean, obviously our family business is a very purpose-led organization. And so I know what everybody did in those weeks after lockdown. You know, how does a company react? How do you do it? How do you come? And I know how much Sweat Service came together. I know how much it was because we were, you know, we're living it. But they were able to pivot very quickly because they were used to pivoting with their partnership, with their business model, with their customer, et cetera. And that's something that's also reflected in small businesses. If you are there and you truly know who you serve and the people you're all involved, you're in it together, you're unified. And therefore, you can react quickly to changing situations externally. The challenge is, is when you take this start model and you become slightly bigger and that's where you look going, those companies that reacted quickly were the ones that hadn't cut the golden thread, were still on there because they knew what their customer needed straight away. Her pickup wasn't invented by the big restaurant straight away. You know, how do you bring people into a restaurant when you're not allowed to be in a restaurant? It was done by taking the menu out onto the curb. That's what smaller restaurants were doing as an example, of course. But those companies, you knew who you were. You knew how to pivot. I think that's the question during the times of lockdown. How did you react? Did you gather as one company, one team? Did you know what your customer needed and their pain? Had the pain of your customer changed? And this is this beautiful advantage that smaller companies do if they don't sever the golden thread that they've always had from that startup. And that the key, you know, driving that one through. And that's purpose-led. That's why those small businesses, and small, I mean, you know, 20, 25, 30 people, they're turning over a lot, can still make impact on their community. Essential. Yes, yes, yes. And, and you'd mentioned earlier, you know, we talk about, I don't know if this is just mostly with women, because we've had to face so many different challenges in business. But when we look at it from whether we're owning our own business or working for somebody else, that concept of, we talked briefly, fear of failure. But I love the concept of fear of success because I think that we don't challenge that enough as well because it's almost like, but I'm afraid if I fail, so we don't try. But what happens if you had that gumption to go up and start trying, but now you realize, whoa, what if I succeed? Like that's, wow, that's a whole nother level. Can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I, I, I talk about it with a smile because yeah. I, I was I was like you, we, fear of failure, fear, fear of this, fear of this. And, you know, we look at the headlines about women entrepreneurs coming forward. Is it fear of this? But actually, they say that the fear of success, in a way, is greater than the, the fear of failure. And, and it's like, oh, yeah, really? You know, like when you hear things, you go, is it really? So we all sat in a room. So me and eight entrepreneurs that I was working with, and we talked about this concept of money. And of course, we're all viable business. We've all got our own businesses. We're, we're making a turnover. It's, we've got off the paper stage, the forming stage. And we went around the table and some people were quicker. We're going, what's your relationship with money and success? So we're all writing, you know, very eager. Our entrepreneurs, very eager. 
And we all write the stories. It was really, it's good. And then it started to slow and people started as they were writing, asking themselves different questions. And, and what ultimately came out after this hour exercise, it was a little bit more interesting than us writing, but we started asking ourselves different questions compared to our stories that we were investigating ourselves. And it wasn't so much the fear of money at all. It was the fear of success based on some things that we had been given subconsciously or in our unconscious, sorry, in our lives. And big, not horrible things, but the way we'd watched our parents were a very traditional family. But we'd had a great parenthood. We'd had a great childhood, sorry. So we associated that with father and mother and the older fashioned roles. Just as a small example, but you know, it wasn't that these businesses weren't successful, but there was always something with these couple of entrepreneurs that kept them being perhaps the main breadwinner or the greatest success one. And then we also had ones, a couple of the entrepreneurs came from, from single parents where, you know, they watched their mother have three jobs to keep them going through and unconscious saying, I never want you to be like that. I never want you to have to work so hard, but you always look tired. So what we were doing was unvaluing and what we formed was new mantras for success. And what are we going to live by now? And it, for me, I come from a very successful entrepreneurial family. And I was thinking, oh, maybe we've had our lot of success. Maybe, you know, I shouldn't grow too much. We've already had our, but start thinking of your objectives in terms of abundance rather than scarcity. It actually opens up a greater opportunity. And we all felt that by making more abundance purposes, like I deserve that success, I deserve the vision I want to make, small as that shift made, it stopped us setting purposes on scarcity. I want to be big, but my unconscious is saying, don't be too big, have time for your family, da, 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 da. But when we actually set mantras that we worked on that were the abundance matches, you realize that you could step into it and you can have it all because we knew ourselves in this whole array. It doesn't stop it being hard work, by the way, but it just gave a better balance. We stopped measuring it as 50% for this thing, 20% for this thing. Have I sort enough for this? And we actually just started living in abundance and realized that we could be who we were to everybody. Of course, it's new, but we still keep in contact with how this mantra is working for us. And each one of us in our own ways has had a shift in what we see success and money about. Strange, funny. It's no, a very it's, interesting job to do. It is. It's, it's so bizarre when we can really get that clarity of what it is. And I think just, again, pulling from my own experience, it's like, you know, I had to, I think at that time, I had to redefine what it meant for to be successful or what success meant for me. And I think at the time, like I had a clear idea of it, but then I realized I was chasing the illusion of work-life balance. And then I got burned out. And I said, well, if this is success, this sucks. I don't want it. Like this, Obviously this is laughing you getting burnt out. No, Sorry. I'm laughing at myself. Like, I can't believe like, well, then if that's success, I don't want it because that's not my vision. That's not my idea. But I didn't realize that this was just like the concept of it. 
And in this whole like rest and restoration and recovery, reset, rebuild, it's kind of just my year of putting a re in front of everything. And I got so crystal clear on it. I said, wait a minute, the definition, my aligned definition of success never changed, but my direction of how I was going about doing it completely did. And that took me out of my role. And I did not feel successful in the succession of being successful. That was weird. Yeah. It just all came out it, like that. But it doesn't sound weird at all. It's such an important point to, you know, you don't have to just make yourself redundant for the business. You have to make yourself redundant for, from how you think about things, what growth is to you, what success is to you. But just understanding that mantra, it's always good to even up it for, are your purpose, the reason big enough in abundance? Or are you subconsciously protecting yourself in scarcity? Yeah. It's a very interesting one. It is. But the re really helps because you're re. That's a, a reach one. I think the re in that concept, the re took a lot of pressure off of me to feel like I had to do it all again and that what I have already created up to this point or to where I'm at at this point wasn't for nothing. So taking that re allows me to just reevaluate, redetermine, redirect, re. And so I was just pivoting in that context, but pivoting in so many different facets of my life that as the clarity started to shape and shift into these different facets, I realized that I was still on point because for me, and I'd love to hear what your definition of success is, but I think for me, success is doing what you love and loving what you do. And so that really taps into my why. So that time away allowed me to get crystal clear and reconnect with my why with open eyes and open heart and an open mind because I had convoluted it with so many different things in my business and in my life that I couldn't see beyond. And so that vision was darkened. It wasn't as clear as it used to be. And without a vision, I didn't have purpose and direction. And that's kind of where I felt myself fade out of things like life, business, all those things. Yeah. And it's interesting what you say. You know, we work with entrepreneurs and people going, what is growth to you? And interestingly, the smaller you make it, the more pressure it puts on yourself. So what we try and do is try and get people to say, well, what's growth to you? And so the first answer, and it's an evolution, of course, as all coaching is, the first answer is always like 50,000. I want two members of staff. I want this. It's very what we see and what we read and what we associate businesses to be. But the problem with putting a measure on what growth means to you is it puts pressure on yourself to achieve just that. And, you know, you mentioned about the perspective, this is what it is, this is what success is, and this is where I'm going. But what we're trying to say is, what is growth to you in terms of the difference you want to make? Or the, it's much more uplifting, it's wider. And that's not cheating. It's just about whatever you want to change is a better growth than putting measures to it here. Because then you can spend time making people curious about your vision, bringing the right people in, letting people have the space to answer the questions you don't know yet. If you've got a picture that you know exactly how, et cetera, et cetera, this is how it's going to be. Sometimes the problem with stress is that your problem you're trying to solve isn't big enough. Um, so you're making it too small. And it doesn't matter if you have this vision to do something completely differently. It could be for yourself, for your village, for your town. The important part of the answer to the question, what is growth to you, is that it is one of change and reflects into the lens through which you see life. That's 
what will keep you inspirational, what will keep you motivated and keep you connected with motivation and energy towards that goal. But putting stuff like this is enough to drive the best of us to frustration. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, I, I felt I felt my fair share of that. And, you know, to your point about growth, and I think, you know, as we look at it, like fearing growth and fearing success and failure and all of those things, it's about, you know, for me, I love growth. I can feel every ounce of me if I'm not growing. And it it kills me. It makes me feel like I'm just here. I'm just existing. And compile that with all of the the stressors and the successes and the failures and things like that. That's where I, at the core of it, I needed to, like I said, to take a step back, reevaluate that growth mindset and that growth attributes allowed me to see things differently, but yet the mission was still the same. So now it's coming about it from a different direction. And, you know, oddly enough, in that revelation of my own, you know, accountability here, it got me so crystal clear on what my vision and where I'm going that I just started telling everybody about it at this point. Like prior to, I thought I was telling people, but I don't think I was telling the right people either. So that's kind of very important as well. But now I'm just telling everybody and everybody. And so I know there was a part of me, my former self, because now as we look at like growth, it's a different concept. My former self was, I wouldn't say I was holding on to the vision and idea out of out of fear of sharing it or the competition or imposter syndrome, I think I also didn't really have the insight and clarity to know that this vision, it, it's very big and it's very scary, but I needed to prepare myself to step into it. And so as I'm sharing this, I realized, oh my goodness, the amount of people that is, I want to be on board. How can I help? Oh, this is incredible. Let's make this happen. I just started sharing. And I've I'm bringing people in because at the end of the day, when we talk about mission-driven and all this stuff, it had never been about me. It's always been about we. But I was holding that so sacred and not allowing the we into it because I didn't feel like they'd understood it or they didn't have the clarity. And so I had to reclaim that clarity, get it myself right before I can now announce it again. But now it becomes like this fresh, uh, fresh perspective. And so... It's a beautiful thing because even what we're building and growing into the confident woman as an overall lifestyle media brand, it's beyond, you know, seeing the vision beyond and bringing people into a space where they are excited about, they're contributing towards it. They feel that they're invested and they're a part of it. And that is exactly the whole ecosystem of what we're trying to build. So it's kind of like, now I can look at that, like even just in our conversation, I'm like, wow, that is clarity for the concept of that this is success. We're moving closer to the goal. We're bringing people up with us. They're contributing. They're feeling aligned. They're feeling like they're making an impact and a difference. That is success. And so I can't discount that at the end of the day. Exactly. It's such a great story that reflects the importance of having that vision and understanding that as the founder of that vision, your only job towards that vision, you don't need to know how. The only job you have towards that vision is put it in the way that makes others curious enough. Because the human is made, they don't want something that's solved. They want to be a part of something that's still yet to be discovered. So it's a beautiful story of the role of a founder and a vision. You don't need to know how. You just need to know the change, the what, and to be able to inspire people to come with you. And it's just a perfect example. Yeah, that was kind of just a little bit of an epiphany here as I'm pulling like what I'm learning from you and just self-reflecting. I'm like, wow, guess I had it, hadn't it's, had that prior to perfect. our call. So I just want to thank yeah, you for it, sharing it's that. Perfect. Yeah. 
It's so perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. And and so, I mean, you have some incredible, incredible work and things that you do just for entrepreneurs and also startups and more into the business. I'd love for you to just share a little bit about what that is and how people can follow along with you, learn more about you and come into your space because you really are making a difference. Yeah. I mean, well, companies wise minds. It's wise with a Y because a young person told me that if I spelt it with an I, it made me old. So I took their advice and uh, wise minds. And you have a website. And, but on that website, because we talked a lot about alignment and purpose and measuring that, you can do the alignment assessment for complete free. There's, you know, it's not associated with anything. You know, I have this absolute love of making more and more purpose led organizations. So that's available free and you can actually gives you the powerful measure. You can measure how aligned you are. That's the one. And of course, LinkedIn with it there at LinkedIn. Have a go at the evaluation. We talked a lot about that Powerball and you can ask yourself the question, how quick was I to react during COVID? But also the Powerball helps you as well. So um, either way, and that's the best way to get in contact and um, have a go at how purpose-led you are. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much for today's conversation. Obviously, it's been super insightful for me and I'm sure for our listeners. So if that is you and you're on the other side and you're like, oh my gosh, I want to learn all about this and follow along with Julie and learn more about it, please check the show notes below. Of course, everything will be included. So I just want to thank you, Julie, for your time and just sharing all this awesome little tidbits and nuggets and just this today's conversation was very valuable even for myself. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. I've loved every single minute. Thank you. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of the Confident Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, please be sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. 